Reading from God's Word, Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, here's what it says. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. This is our final message in the book of Malachi. Uh, we're looking at the last three verses of the Old Testament. And uh, then next week we will begin um, looking at the parables of Jesus. And we're going to do that throughout the summer. And that should be, uh, uh, I'm look, really looking forward to it, to be honest here, because I like stories. And, and most of the parables are, are really stories. And so that'll be fun. Uh, but let's fill in, finish up Malachi first. Is that okay? Okay. The, I've got uh, uh, the yeas have it. Okay. Read with me verse 4. Two points in this message. Here we go. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Title of the message today, The Way of Hope. The Way of Hope. He is giving us a map of how to go from here to there with hope. He said, where are we going? From here, wherever here is for you, to there. Where is there? Kingdom of God. How do we get there? The way of hope. The manner of hope. The procedure of hope. So uh, what we're saying is, and we've seen this throughout the book of Malachi, I don't have time to summarize it all up. What we're saying is, we know where we're going and where we're going is a place of hope, right? Is the kingdom of God a hopeful place? Yes. But we're not saying we have no hope today. What we're saying is where we have hope because of where we're going and in the manner of our going is a way of hope. And, and what we want to answer today, well, how in the world do we do that? Because I turn on the news, I don't see a lot of hope right so how do we do that and so that's what we're going to look at the way of hope verse 4 how to go how do we make it from here to there with hope two things remember and walk uh some of you might golf i don't i i golf occasionally i I golf just infrequently enough to really be terrible but the way i make up for that is i tell myself is however i want to figure out how much i paid Per stroke, so I calculate how much I paid for the round of golf. The more strokes I hit, the cheaper it is per stroke. And uh, and so at the end of the day, if I have a really low cost per stroke, I feel real good about it. Then and that's the way I comfort myself that way. So here's the thing about a good golfer: a good golfer has to know the rules. If you've ever played golf, there are a lot of rules, and that's why most golfers are liars. There's a lot of rules. Uh, And if you're a a really uh, serious golfer, you've got a copy of the USGA uh, rules of golf on the back of your toilet. So you can just grab that sucker and just review it whenever you have a moment. So a good golfer knows the rules. But as it turns out, you can't be a good golfer merely by knowing the rules, right? You also have to know how to swing the club. And you also have to know how to make good decisions based on conditions. You have to to know your limitations. And you have to know what your strengths, your weaknesses are. So to be a good golfer, you have to have two things, plus a lot of money. Um, Know the rules and know how to play. Okay? So here's the point we're making from uh, verse 4 of Malachi 4. He says, remember the law of Moses. He's saying, we need to know God's ways... 
but we also need to know how to walk in God's ways. So the point here he is saying to the people of Malachi is in the difficulty of your current life, remember God's covenant. Reflect back on God's covenant and knowing his covenant, not merely as a matter of knowledge, walk according to God's covenant, walk according to God's promise. Look at what he says. He says, remember the law of Moses, the statutes and rules I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. What's Horeb? Horeb is another word for Mount Sinai. And just a couple of quick places and describe that event. Uh, Exodus 19:18 tells us this about that moment. Mount Sinai, in Malachi referred to as Horeb, uh, was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So you got this mountain, we're not certain where it is. It's wrapped in smoke. So imagine maybe Roxy Ann. But the, it's completely covered in smoke. A few years ago, maybe five years ago, a pretty decent-sized fire broke out on the face of, of Roxy Ann and kind of ran north, uh, northeast on it. And that was nothing compared to Mount Horeb. The whole thing was completely covered in smoke and descended on it in a fire. Look, the description continues. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. Ever had a really good fire going and the, and the smoke is just cranking out of it? It's like a kiln, and, every, and, the, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So an, another great way of picturing this scene is Mount St. Helens. Do you remember Mount St. Helens, 1980? I can't remember. I was like, uh, I was eight years old, but I remember it. Have you seen that plume of ash coming out of it? If you're too young to remember Mount St. Helens, just Google it. I mean, it's incredible. This plume. This is what Mount Horeb looked like. It was trembling. Uh, a, a, fire and smoke was coming out of it, and, and they were to be astonished by the power of God. How did the people respond to that? This is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the mountain wasn't like smoking cigarette. It was, I don't want you to get the wrong picture in your head. Mountains don't do that. Uh, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood really far away and they said this to Moses. You speak to us, and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. They were so uh, afraid of this mountain that they said, Moses, we'll talk to you. You, you go talk to that guy. That guy's scary. And so what, what the author of Malachi is doing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's calling their minds back to that moment and saying, not merely remember the rules God wrote, wrote down. He wants them to remember those things, but he's also saying, remember Mount Horeb. What did it look like? It looked like a volcano. And what was your response to God in that moment? He is God. I am not. I'll do whatever he says. In fact, I'll do whatever he says, even if I don't hear it straight from here, even if I hear it just from Moses. And so what the author is telling us to do is remember who God is and remember his commands. What were his commands that he gave out on Mount Horeb? It was the law. What are some of the laws? You can yell it out. Anybody remember some of these laws? You shouldn't kill. Okay, that's a good one. If some, none of you are taking notes. Don't kill. Okay, on the way home, don't kill. Especially if it's someone in the car. Don't, just say no. Say no to murder. What else? What was that? Don't, don't, no other gods. Don't worship other things. Don't worship things that aren't God. He said, well, I don't, I, I've never stumbled into idolatry. 
Uh, well, remember, idolatry is anything that you trust to bring you peace of mind that isn't God. So whatever today makes today okay, if it's not God, that thing is your idol or that person or that um, truck. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I know that now it's getting real. That's not right. That's not right. Okay, what else? Uh, don't envy your neighbor's stuff. Don't envy your neighbor's spouse. Don't envy your neighbor's well-behaved kids. Don't envy your neighbor's well-manicured lawn. Don't envy your neighbor's good job. Don't envy your neighbor's satellite dish. I don't know what you envy of your neighbor. But don't do that, okay? I don't like envy. I'm not saying I don't like envy. I, 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 I struggle with envy, as every other American does. The reason I don't like it is the one sin that nobody catches you doing. Like, has anybody ever confirmed, boy, you're really envious. No, because this is something going on in your heart, isn't it? Don't envy. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commands of God. And what we have to pay attention to about the commands of God is this. They are not arbitrary. God was not sitting in heaven going, okay, we're about to do the Ten Commandments. What are, guys, what are, ten good ones. Hook me up. Let's brainstorm, let's spitball the Ten Commandments. That wasn't, the law of God is an expression of who God is. It, they aren't arbitrary. He didn't just come up with some rules to keep us from completely destroying each other. We discover the person and work and nature of God in his commands. And what Malachi is telling his people, think back and remember God at Horeb. Is God awesome at Horeb? Oh, yeah. Yeah, God is the man at Horeb. Now, knowing he is God, look at his law and say, what is he like? He is a compassionate God who would have us love our neighbor the way we love ourselves. He is a God who... Uh, understands trust. I don't need to steal because I can trust God to provide. So we worship God according to who God is. So if we want to understand the way of hope, we have to go knowing who God is. If we're going to the kingdom of God, from here to there is a manner of walking that is according to the king. And we find hope in saying, what is God like? We can look at the law. And some of us say, well, we don't live under the law. Okay, so you're okay with murder? I mean, most of the law, I, I'll give you a pass on tearing the wall out of your house if you have mildew. You can go ahead and just clean that. But most of the law, we can look at it, these are really good ideas. Don't steal your neighbor's stuff. Don't envy your neighbor's stuff. Don't kill your neighbor. These are all really, these are things that we can look at what does God say to do and say, I want to walk in God's ways because God's ways reveal who God is. He re reveals what he is like. And we worship God according to his ways. We worship God the way he wants to be worshiped, not according to how we want to worship. There's a national radio station, and they play a lot of worship music, which I listen to. Uh, but one of the things they do, it drives me bonkers, makes, ma makes me want to turn it off. They've got a little thing, a little tag between the songs. They say, uh, worship, and I won't name, name the name of the station. Um, it's not the dove. Uh, it's a different one. Because uh, I think the dove in the, during the day is mostly preaching. Um, uh, it says, worship. And, and, and it has something that says, because it, it makes, if you're having a bad day, it makes you feel good. Right? The worship music, you're having a bad day, it makes you, makes you feel good. Okay, what, who is worship supposed to make feel good? Not you. It's for God. If your worship music is designed to make you feel good, who are you worshiping? 
me or my feelings, one of the two. Worship is not supposed to make me feel good. Worship is my effort because I know what God is like to what? I want him to feel good. Now, why in the world does he need me to make him feel good? He doesn't. He's just that nice that he gives us that opportunity. So worship here is saying, what is God like? He is uh, the God of his covenant. And how do we worship him according to his covenant? So here's God's promise according to the covenant. He makes an eternal promise to us by his power to faithfully love us and give us his presence according to his covenant. He says in the new covenant in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, we have the presence of God forever. Since we have the presence of God forever, the question is, how then should we live? We live lives of worship. So I live a life of worship, not merely when I sing a worship song. I also live a life of worship when I don't steal. When I... When I have envy in my heart, I come to the Lord in repentance and say, God, look at my heart. It's wicked with envy. Will you change me? And that becomes an act of worship because I understand where I'm going in the Lord. I understand his commands and I also understand his covenant to me. And the question is, how do I go? I know his rules and his his call to holiness and I want to walk in those things as an act of worship. I don't walk in those things in order to earn the kingdom. I walk in those things because I want the kingdom worked out in my own heart and in my own walk. Okay, a couple of quick examples of this in the Old Testament of what it means to look at God's covenant. Uh, we might even say rules. I, I'm not going to hesitate to use that phrase. And then what does it look like to walk them out? Because there was a lot of, of rules in the Old Testament. Anybody ever read the Old Testament? There's a lot of rules, aren't there? I mean, sometimes they're very confusing. And as it turns out, it was very confusing actually for the people of the Old Testament uh, as well. In Exodus uh, chapter 18, uh, Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And Moses' father in law comes to him and says, You're an idiot. I mean, that's not in the Old Testament, but it's basically, uh, you're an idiot. You should divide up the work and have other people help you. So Moses appoints some other judges. What were they judging? What was the problem? They understood God's covenant, and then they would encounter a situation and say, well, we know what the rule is, but we're not sure how it applies in this particular situation. Okay, the rule says I'm not allowed to move the boundary stone, uh, but there was an earthquake and it moved. Does that mean I can move it back? Uh, how do we know where it was before? What, how does the rule, the covenant promises of God apply in this particular situation? And there was so much question, how does the covenant apply to real life, that they actually had to appoint a whole bunch of judges so people could come and say, I'm not sure how this applies. A couple of quick examples of this. And I know you've probably got this uh, tabbed in your Bible, Leviticus 24. And some of you are going, I didn't know there was a book of Leviticus in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 24 an Israelite woman's son whose father was an Egyptian went out among the people of Israel and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel, they got into a fight. That would have been cool. A little UFC going on. That wasn't, they didn't have, no cage. The Israelite's woman though, the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name. They got into a fight. He got into a chokehold or something and he said uh, the name of the Lord in vain. The woman's son said this. So, uh, by the way, his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri tribe of Dan. They put him in custody. They arrested the kid. Use the Lord's name in vain. They arrested the kid and they wanted to wait till they should know from the Lord what they should do. And you're saying, well, isn't the law clear what they should do? Not, not terribly. 
And so they weren't exactly sure what do we do? We wash his mouth out with soap? Do we, what do we do with this guy? The Lord spoke to Moses, said, bring out of the camp the one who cursed. Let everyone who heard it put their hands on him and stone him to death. Wow, okay, that, that got dark quick. Um, but that was, they, the Lord wanted to make a point. My name is to be holy among my people. And the, and the people of Israel did exactly that. So what happened was he violated one of the covenant uh, callings of God's covenant. And the people weren't exactly sure how that applied. Like, well, we're not sure exactly how to put this in motion. And so they had to seek the Lord. So the trick isn't merely knowing the law. How do, how do they walk it out? One other good example of this is over in Leviticus, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, and uh, what happened was Aaron's two sons offered unauthorized fire and they got smote. They got smited. Uh, by the Lord, because they authorized, uh, they offered unauthorized fire. It was the, they were very cavalier in their worship of God, and as the role of sons of the high priest, God wasn't going to stand for it, and they were put to death. And Aaron, their father, was told this: because of the nature of their death, they received judgment of God in their office of priest. You cannot mourn them. He just lost his two oldest sons. And he was told, do not let your hair go be unkempt. Don't eat the normal food of mourners. Uh, don't tear your clothes. You cannot mourn your sons because they were killed by actions that brought dishonor to God's name as well as the priesthood. And Aaron did that. He's like, all right, I understand that. And he agreed with the Lord. Now, the, uh, an offering was offered by his other sons. And this offering was such that they were to offer some of it burned on the altar and then some of it they were to eat. They decided to burn the entire thing, and we discover later in the story, because they were so upset about their brothers dying, they didn't want to eat the thing. And when Moses discovered this, he says this in Leviticus 10, 17, why haven't you eaten the sin offering? What's your problem? You're supposed to eat the sin offering, and you're not following the rules. You're doing exactly what God uh, said not to do. And look what Aaron said in verse 19. He says this to Moses, his kid brother. Behold, today they have offered their sin offering. They've offered their burnt offering uh, before the Lord. Yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that reply, he, he, he approved as well. So what happened? Moses, uh, Aaron said this, listen, they followed everything they were supposed to do. They just chose not to partake of their privilege of, as priests of partaking of the sin, part of the sin offering as a way of fasting in recognition of their brother's death. And Aaron is saying, would God have been happy if they would have been celebrating during this time? And Moses said, you know what, you're right. So what was Aaron doing? He understood the rules and the covenant promises of God, and he also understood what God was like. And he's saying, I know what God's like. He's okay that they fasted knowing the brother died. God is not an ogre, is what Aaron was saying. God understood the situation we were in. What does this mean? How do we go? What is the way of hope in our life? It's not merely cramming a bunch of Bible verses into our skulls. We have to be able to take the word of God and say, so what do I do with it today? How do I work this out in my day in and day out life? Does anybody else find that tricky to do? Anybody else? Because it, if it's just me, it's going to be really uh, uncomfortable. I saw a hand in the back. Ben Baumgarten finds this terribly difficult. Sorry, Ben. I didn't mean to use uh, Ben Baumgarten's name out loud. 
So any guesses as to why the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering yourselves together? Could it be, like it says in just a little bit later in Hebrews, in the same book, he says, run with patience the race set before you, endure with patience the race set before you. Why is that? We have to come together and say, okay, here's what the Bible says. Here's what my life looks like. I don't even have a clue how to get these two to line up. And then you go to the guy next to you. Do you have any idea how these two things work? He goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my life was miserable, and then God showed me how this works. Let me walk through that with you. This is why the body of Christ is a body, because we take the way of hope and we say, I'm not sure how this calling to uh, serve my wife as Christ served the church how to honor my employer the way Christ honored the Father. I'm not sure how to put these into practice because I've got these specific things going on in my life and here's what the specific calling of God's covenant is. I'm not sure how to do that. And so then we come to the body of Christ. We hear some guy yammer on up here. Or more importantly, we might check in with a, a brother who knows us well and say, I'm struggling in this. I'm not sure what to do. I need help. I need help syncing up the way of my life with the way of the covenant promises of God. It's a way of saying this. I know what the, golf, the rules of golf say, but my swing is really out of sync. I need somebody to take a look at it. And most of us are really uncomfortable letting somebody else look into our heart. But that's exactly what we have to do. Understanding how to sync up our life with the covenant promises of God. So the way of hope, how to go. Number one, we remember what God has said, and you have to know God's word to do that. Secondly, we have to know how to walk. Putting into practice God's covenant promises, and oftentimes that's tricky, so we do that with one another. Okay, verses 4, 5, and 6 of Malachi uh, chapter 4. We're going to do these uh, relatively uh, quickly. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Here's what he's saying. He's using time. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. When? Before. Before what? Before what? The great and awesome day of the Lord. So we've got a timeline. Elijah the prophet, great and awesome day of the Lord. Which one happens before? Easy question. Elijah the prophet, good. Then great and awesome day of the Lord. And so uh, what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to be looking for what is going to be happening as we make our way along the way of the hope. So the way of hope, where we're going, look and rest. Look where we're going and rest knowing the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. In rally car racing, there's two, two people in the car. There's the driver and the co-pilot. The co-pilot has a sheet of paper with all the notes of all the turns. And he's got a little radio. Oftentimes, the co-pilot isn't even looking out the windshield. And all he's doing is he's reading from his notes. Next corner, 20 miles an hour. Hang a left. Hang a right. Hit your brakes. Watch out for the stump. Rabbit. Whatever might be in his notes. And he is just simply giving the driver instructions. The driver, his job is to know where the car is going. But most importantly, to listen to his co-pilot and just simply do what he's been being told to do. Because sometimes what is in front of him is not as clear as what is on the notes of his co-pilot. And so the way of hope is this. We're supposed to look where we're going, but also rest in what God has done. The goal of our going, the goal of going from here to where we're going is transformation and to be made more like Christ. So again, look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Then what will happen after Elijah? He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come in judgment. 
I'm going to sum this up real quick because we could spend some time. Here's what he's saying. When Elijah comes, his goal will be to change hearts. We're reducing down what could be a half-hour discussion here. He is coming to change hearts. Hearts that were hardened towards their father, which here is a figure of our hearts that are hardened towards God. And the goal of Elijah is to change hearts so that in our going, we will rest in him in whom we have hope. So who is this Elijah to come? Any guesses? It's John the Baptist. Good guess. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Does that sound like anything? Yeah, that, that's quoted and referred to in the book of Matthew. Jesus says this, All the prophets in law prophesied until John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus says it quite explicitly. John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 17 verse 9 they're coming down from the mountain mountain of transfiguration and uh, the disciples asked in this why does the bible say that elijah must come first and jesus answered elijah does come first and he's going to restore all things but i tell you that elijah has already come and they didn't recognize him but they did to him whatever they pleased And the disciples understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. There's a great scene in a classic movie. This classic movie is called Back to the Future. Who's seen it? Just showed it to my kids this weekend. They thought it was stupid. Thought it was amazing. I watched it again. I was like, why don't they make movies like this anymore? Anyway, the the Doc Brown sends uh, the dog Einstein in the the Back to the Future DeLorean uh, forward one minute. And he goes, and Marty McFly says, where did the dog go? I'm editing it for a family audience. Where did the dog go? Uh, Where did Einstein go? And Doc Brown answered this way. It doesn't matter where he went. What matters? When he is. It doesn't matter where he is. Well, the question is, when is he? And the when is he is... Uh, one minute in the future, we're going to catch up with him uh, in a minute. So the question we ask ourselves when we look at Elijah, day of the Lord, Elijah comes first. When are we? When are we? We are after Elijah before the day of the Lord. And at most of the prophets in the Old Testament probably would have guessed these two events would have been very close together. You and I have a lot of information that indicates these events are probably at least 2,000 years apart. So when are we? We are after Elijah, but we are before that great and frightening day of the Lord. So what are we to do? We are to anticipate that the when we are is the time for our heart to be transformed to yearn after our Father. The journey right now is the journey of hope where our hope is placed in God alone. A heart that anticipates the day of the Lord that's prophesied in Joel. When young men will have visions... And many people will understand and know the the Lord. And that's what uh, Peter refers to in Acts chapter 2. He says, the the prophecies of Joel, when people will see the things of God, are occurring today. And now we know the things of God because of Christ. Our heart is changed to be like our fathers. This is the way that we are going on right now. Our going is to look to where we're going and to rest in what God has done uh, for us. Okay, last two verses because uh, I want to finish uh, close to on time, which is not my spiritual gift. Uh, Psalm 32, 9. What is our heart to look like? Psalm 32, 8, 9 says this. Uh, when in our going, what is the transformation that's going to occur in our heart as we rest in the purposes of God? It says this. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So the call of the person who's seeking the Lord is not to have to have God's rule drag us along through our life. The hope is that our heart would be made so much like God, we would willingly walk in his ways. We would with joy pursue God and his uh, purposes. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. No longer do I call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So he is calling us friends saying, you are in the family business of calling people into hope in Christ. How do we do that? We call people to repent and agree they need forgiveness uh, in Christ alone. The way of hope, the, the how we go is remember the covenant promises of God and understand together how do we walk in those day in and day out. Where we're going, we look for that great and awesome day of the Lord, which is coming soon. And, and you say, how soon? I'll tell you this, we're closer than we've ever been. We look to where we are going into the kingdom of God, and in that we rest knowing God has done uh, all the work. Okay, a couple of quick applications, and then I'm going to have the worship team out, come up for a, a closing song. To walk with God, we have to know him. So I don't have a nice way of saying this, but to know God, you've got to read the Bible. Okay, to know God, yeah, we talk about this all the time. To know God, you're going to have to open up your Bible on a routine basis and read it. And you say, well, I don't understand it all. Welcome to the club. Keep reading it. In about 50 years, you're going to understand a bit more. You say, well, that sounds boring. Suck it up. The average American watches Netflix four hours a day. I think you can snap off a 20-minute Bible reading this week. Okay? Sorry, not a lot of pity coming for me. All right. Uh, but we have to do more than just merely read the word and pump info into our head. The question is this, how do I know God? I'm reading the word not to be able to win Bible trivia games. I'm reading the word because this is where I discover who God is. This is where I discover what God is like. Secondly, the goal of worship is not merely to know what God wants. The goal of worship is is to love what God loves. The goal of worship is not merely to know the rules of God, although that's a bit. The goal of worship is to love what God loves, to understand God's heart. So we can look at the news today and we can see injustice and does your heart break? No, you ask yourself this question, when you see the injustice of our current times, does your heart break or do you merely see looters? God's heart broke when that man died. And if your heart is merely seeing looters, you have repentance to deal with. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Am I saying people should be looting? No, but that misses God's heart. Injustice to the weak breaks his heart. And does it break ours? It changes how we see things. The question is, worship is not knowing just merely what God wants. The question is, what moves God's heart? Does it? Does my heart move the same way? And listen, most of the time it doesn't, and so what do we do? We just repent. We repent to God, and we go to our buddies and our, our girlfriends, and we say, uh, my heart's not like God's. I need you to pray for me. Malachi, 
What is the greatest obstacle to worship? We're going to wrap up Malachi with this. What's the greatest obstacle to worship of God? We don't see he is worthy. Because when we see what God is like, we fall on our faces like Isaiah and Isaiah 6 and say, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. If we see God as worthy, our hearts will be moved to worship.